this time. Let's look in our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. And because God's Word is holy and infallible, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the bone and to the marrow, to our very hearts, to give us as a living sacrifice before the Father. Let's stand as we give honor to the Word of the Lord and to Him. We'll be reading Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would help us to learn how we are to live as a church, and especially, we pray, to appreciate the work and the ministry of those who have served in helping and even providing for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to start off by asking, what can we do as a church to help us grow in numbers and help us to grow in faithfulness? Do we need to have a gym in the back and maybe an exercise room with all the latest and greatest exercise equipment? Or do we have to get Central Louisiana's greatest indoor playground? And then that would really bring some families with kids along. Or how about programs? Maybe we need programs. I think programs could help. And honestly, I mean, there are things you can do that are based on Scripture that would be good for people in the community. But the answer in today's text is something different as what the church needs. And we'll look at that in in a little bit. But before we go there, I want us to review a little bit of what happened before in the previous chapter. In chapter 7, Jesus went into the home of a man named Simon, who was a Pharisee. Uh, Other gospel accounts mention a Simon the leper. So my conclusion is that this Simon was both a Pharisee and a leper. But he was interested in the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to come and sit at his table, and he hosted a meal there for the Lord Jesus. While Jesus is reclined at table, of course these tables were not upright chairs like we had. It was kind of, he kind of reclined on a, a cushion along the floor, and the table was kind of low. There was a woman who came in and started weeping over the feet of Jesus and anointing the feet of Jesus with oil and washing the feet of Jesus with her hair. And then Simon, if you look there, chapter 7, verse 39, the Pharisee said, Simon said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now, the eternal Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, made flesh, 
Of course, unlike the prophets of old, Jesus could actually read the minds of persons. He knew the thoughts of Simon, and then he responded by giving him a parable of two debtors. The parable of two debtors is one person has a debt of 500 denarii, another person has a debt of 50 denarii, and then because of hardships, they're unable to pay, so then the master, or the one who had this great, um, who was owed all this debt, forgave both of them. Then Jesus says, which one do you think would love this man more? And Simon correctly said, I suppose the one who forgave more, they would be, that one who owed 500 denarii would be more eager and more loving and more thankful because he was forgiven a greater debt. So both in a conclusion of the parable and in a conclusion of this woman's life, Jesus said in verse 47, Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Yes, this woman was a sinner, but this woman was a repentant sinner. She was turning from her sin unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in this passage, at the end of this chapter, your sins have been forgiven. And then he says later, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. They ask the question then, well, who is this who even has the ability to forgive sin? It's a proof here that Jesus, one, has to be divine. It is the authority and the prerogative of God alone to forgive sin. Therefore, if God alone can forgive sin and Jesus forgives sin, then this is a proclamation from the gospel that Jesus is God. So after leaving this home of the Pharisee, today's text says that the Lord Jesus and his apostles began traveling from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The main focus of today's text is that the church needs the support of godly women. The church needs the support of godly women. We'll see this in two main points. The itinerant ministry of Jesus. And secondly, we'll look at godly women who supported Jesus. Let's look at this first main point. The itinerant ministry of Jesus. Verse 1. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were, were with him. So before we go any further, we need to answer, answer the question, what is an itinerant preacher? Well, first of all, what does the word itinerant mean? The word itinerant means one who travels from place to place. It comes from the Latin uh, word itur, which means journey. So in Latin, if you were going to go on, on an iter, you would, you're going on a journey. So a person who journeys around, like it says in verse 1, from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. It wasn't just Jesus who was an itinerant preacher. It was also the twelve, because they were with him during all of his travels. But it, well, was it only Jesus and the twelve who were itinerant? I would give you a little preview to a future sermon, chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So the 70 that were appointed, they were itinerant as well. 
traveled from city to city. In a sense, they were reminiscent of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. Uh, maybe you've heard this in the business world. There are itinerant salespeople or itinerant workers or laborers. Uh, I read a, a novel by a Cajun author about a man who goes around repairing pumps in the 1930s. People did that. They were traveling all over the nation repairing and servicing equipment, traveling. You might not be aware of this, but the United Methodist Church made it a central part of their denomination to have itinerant preachers. Um, there's an article I, I'm taking this from, and it's called To Be United Methodist, What is Itinerancy? It says here that the history of the church is that John Wesley went around traveling and preaching throughout England, setting up Methodist societies or churches. He said he preached 40,000 sermons in his lifetime. Um, it goes on and he says that during the American days of the infancy of the Methodist Church and the days of Francis Asbury, um, it, there was a preacher, most often called a circuit rider. He would be appointed to at least half a state or more. His appointment might be for three months, after which he would move to another circuit and then travel from church to church. And their claim of the Methodist Church is that thousands of these um, United Methodist Churches throughout the United States can be attributed to the circuit riders of old. So itinerancy refers to this commitment of some pastors in the Methodist Church to submit to what they call the bishop. The bishop of the state of Louisiana has the right and ability to relocate ministers in the Methodist Church as they see fit. And they say it has to do with the, the needs of congregations and all that. It says that appointments can be for one year at a time, and the goal is to match the gifts and graces of particular pastors with the ministry needs of a particular congregation. The needs and desires of the clergy are considered, but the mission of the church comes first. Now, as Presbyterians, we disagree with what we call the hierarchical government of the Methodist Church. But what do we think, or what are we supposed to think, of this itinerancy practice in um, the Methodist Church? It seems that they're seeking here to imitate the ministry of the Lord Jesus in eight, Luke 8, verse 1. Jesus went from town to town preaching the kingdom of God. Should the OPC have a rotation of ministers? Should I go from a different church every couple of years? And should you get a new pastor every few years? Because, you know, maybe it gets stale after a while, so you might want somebody new, right? My answer to this question is, there is a place for what we call itinerancy, or traveling around. Consider the work of regional home missionaries, one of which is named David Chilton, Reverend David Chilton. This man has traveled more than anybody I know, is always on flights, and is always visiting churches that are starting up, helping to establish churches. So you could say that our presbytery has a circuit rider, or maybe we can call him a circuit flyer. He does a lot of riding in the car as well, believe me. But it's not only him. We have a pastor in Natchitoches, along with an elder, who drives all the way down from Natchitoches to Covington to help 
fill the need for a session at the church in Covington, Louisiana. It's a pretty long drive. But every time they have to have a session meeting, those men are called to come down from Natchitoches all the way to Covington to help provide for that need. So yes, we do have itinerant ministers here in the United States and itinerant elders, it looks like, as well. What about foreign missions? Uh, Reverend uh, Hop, who goes, Ben Hop, who goes to Haiti, when he goes to Haiti, he doesn't go to one location when things are safe and, the, and there's not a lot of strife and violence in, this, in, the, in the nation of Haiti or the island of Haiti. Um, he travels from church to church, checking on different congregations, helping them to get established, preaching at different churches. So Reverend Ben Hop, missionary Ben Hop, is an itinerant preacher as well. The answer is that not everyone, I believe, is called to be an itinerant preacher. To establish the church in Crete, I want us to look at what Paul taught uh, Timothy to do. Let's look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Paul writes this, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, as a man is above reproach the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For, here's a key word, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faith, um, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So what do we need for churches to grow? We need godly elders. To serve here mentions as elders, presbuteros. That first mention of the word elders in verse 5 is where we get the word Presbyterian. Presbyterianism means it's made up of presbuteroi. Uh, that means elders, which the, the Greek can mean older men. You could translate that as older men. Typically, they should be older men. But also in verse 7, it mentions them as being an overseer. That can also be translated as bishop. And that's the word where we get episcopal from. Episcopoi would be the plural, episcopos, singular. So here we have two different denominations based on two different words in the same text. But here's the catch. It's the same office. An elder is a presbuteros, is also an episcopos. He's both an elder and an overseer. Or you, I, I've never called Dr. Joe this, but I guess you can call Dr. Joe Bishop, Bishop Dr. Joe. All right. But I mean, that's a valid use of this particular passage. So the notion of having a bishop set over a bunch of elders, telling them where they got to go from church to church as itinerant preachers, is totally contradictory to this passage. It's the same office, not a different office at all. 
I hope that makes sense. So we have Jesus and his 12, his apostles, going around as itinerant uh, preachers and teachers proclaiming the kingdom of God. So then, how do they go about it? How can they have the support they need? And the support they need is mentioned in our next point. The godly women who supported Jesus and his apostles in their itinerant ministry. So as the Lord Jesus went from city to city to one another, he and the twelve apostles, they also were helped, it says, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Before we go any further, it's important to note that Dr. William Hendrickson, who is one of my favorite New Testament theologians, in his commentary on, on this um, gospel account, he wrote this, It is especially in the gospel according to Luke that the Savior's tender and profound regard for women is emphasized. I would say also that something different in the Gospel of Luke is that Luke gives greater credit to women than the other Gospel accounts as well. And I believe the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to do that in writing this a Gospel account. According to Luke 3.23, it mentions that Jesus began his ministry at approximately the age of 30. Not exactly, but approximately the age of 30. And historians say that Jesus was crucified at the age of 33, so there was about a a three-year ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, I like to ask this question. Imagine the resources to take care of 13 grown men for the period of 30, I mean, sorry, for the period of three years of ministry. Housing, food, clothing, all of their needs for 13 men for three years. I believe it It was a lot more than you can consider. I mean, I, I'm able to pay for all of the, the medical needs and food and other issues for my family of five. I can't imagine having to pay for 13 grown men. Um, a couple of answers could be here that, you know, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they still had their fishing industry going, and maybe they were paying workers, and those workers continued to fish and earn funds to support the ministry. That's possible. Levi, who was also called Matthew, was a tax collector, and he was likely more financially able than most, and he probably used some of his funds to fund the ministry. But even considering all this, it wasn't enough. How do we know that it wasn't enough? Because here it says there was more help that was needed. Verse 3 says that these women listed here contributed to their support, that's the, the support of the 13 men, out of their private means. Jesus and his apostles had the time and resources for ministry because of the help, to a large degree financial help and other help, service and food and other things, labor of their hands, of all these godly women that enabled them to do the work of ministry. 
I want us to look at a few of these women who I believe deserve attention. Let's look first at Mary, uh, who was called Magdalene. She was likely Mary of Magdala. There's a town along the shore of Galilee that was about three miles north of Tiberias. And she was likely from that fishing town of Magdala. The text says that, and as we read earlier, the Lord Jesus Christ delivered Mary from being possessed by seven demons. Now, before we look further, was it only during this time that people needed deliverance from the work and the deception and the possession of demons? Is it still for today that people need to be delivered from the work and the oppression of demons or the devil? According to one particular passage, very important passage in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says that the God of this world, little g, the God of this world, that's speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I believe the answer is found here in that passage, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that people today still need to be delivered, maybe not from demon possession, but from demon deception, demonic deception, the devil's deception. We need to pray that God would work in the hearts and minds, that he would remove the blindness, that he would give a new heart to enable them to believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But those who refuse Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're still deceived by the devil. Now, there's a long tradition that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, um, but I believe it's not really solid. It began with uh, the teaching of Pope Gregory I. I think, I think he was the first who popularized this. Pope Gregory I in the year 591, he popularized this interpretation that Mary Magdalene was the same notorious sinful woman mentioned in the chapter before, in chapter 7. The woman who was considered a sinner, who Jesus shouldn't have even let touch his feet, according to Simon. Now, the reason for that is that if there's parallel gospel accounts, there's also mention of a woman who is washing the feet of Jesus in um, John 12, whose name is Mary. Some like to call her Mary of Bethany. She washed Jesus' feet, but the thing is, it's, there's no mention of Simon. And the people sitting around the table is not Simon the Pharisee, it's Lazarus and some of the other of the disciples of Jesus. So we can't know for sure if this is the same Mary. Some say it's doubtful. But even if it was, there's no place that says that the woman who was called a sinner was a prostitute in the first place. It's speculation. What we need to do is we need to look at what Scripture clearly says about Mary Magdalene. She was a woman who helped support Jesus and his ministry. Mary Magdalene was one of the first of the disciples to witness the resurrection of Christ. She was there and saw the angels. She was there to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus himself told her to go and tell the disciples the, and the, well, the apostles, his brethren, of his resurrection. 
Another lady mentioned in today's text is Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. I think if you were the steward of King Herod, I think you would have a decent amount of funding to help serve the ministry, and she did. So she gave of her own sustenance and her own wealth for the sake of the ministry. Another lady um, who was mentioned, oh, I'm sorry, before we go to Susanna, um, we're not going to turn there, but in Luke 24, later on at the end of the chapter, some of the women gathered there during the resurrection of Jesus was Mary Magdalene, this woman, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women as well. They likewise went and brought the report. It wasn't just Mary, but it was Mary and the other women brought the report to the apostles that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Another lady mentioned here in, in verse 3 is Susanna. We don't know much about Susanna. There's no other passage I know of that mentions anything else about Susanna. But the Holy Spirit felt it was important that her name would be mentioned here. You know, God remembers each and every one of our names. And we might not have our names like it's mentioned here. There was others, many others, who supported financially the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. But their names are not mentioned here. But God knows each of our names and each of our works, and our works are remembered. So what is it that our church needs? Do we need programs? Do we need buildings? Do we need other things of that sort? According to today's text, one of the essential needs is that we need godly women to support the work of the church. The work of the church is not only to be done by the men. We need the work and service and help of godly women. It's not only the work of the session, the elders and the, and the pastor to disciple. Paul instructs that older women are to help disciple the younger. We need godly women in the church. Again, the itinerant ministry, the traveling ministry of Jesus and the apostles was only made possible from the support of such women. They contributed to their support out of their private means, we are told. The godly women that supported the work of Jesus and the Twelve included Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. May God raise up both godly men and godly women to serve for the sake of the church. Let's pray together. Our glorious Father, we thank you for these women of old, these women who were given your Holy Spirit, many of which were delivered from evil spirits and from illnesses and even the oppression of the evil one. And we thank you that you worked in their lives and that you brought them to yourself to serve in the church. And we pray that you would raise up godly men and women in our church as well to serve and not to be served. Help us, we pray, as a congregation and help each and every one of us to live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again from the dead. Thank you for this, your holy word, and help us to learn and to receive 
and to believe and to apply this your word in our lives. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's stand and sing 469, Who Are Like These Stars Appearing? 469.